Hi, everyone. This is Demetria Smusen. And this is Mona Manglania Jacobs. We are the co-founders and principal consultants at Empowered Consulting, a woman and Chamorro-owned social impact consulting firm. And you're listening to the Empowered Podcast, the show that connects you to empowering stories about people, organizations, and communities. You'll hear from nonprofit leaders, educators, Black and Brown community organizers, entrepreneurs, and people who look and sound like you. February is Black History Month. Empowered is dedicating our second episode to centering Black voices. On today's episode, you'll hear from four powerful Black women who will share their personal and professional narratives, their fight for equity, and their hopes for the future. I am honored to introduce our first guest, Danielle Badaki. Danielle is a Nigerian-American who moved to the United States at age 13. While adjusting to a new school and friends, she discovered her passion for helping others. This passion pushed her to pursue a public health degree at Georgia State University, where she found her mission to find new ways to improve community health. She presently attends the University of North Carolina for her master's in public administration. Her professional experience encompasses the nonprofit sector and other community-based work. Danielle believes that fostering relationships and intentional collaboration across sectors is crucial to achieving community health. Hi, y'all. How are you? My name is Danielle Badaki. As she mentioned, a little bit of background. I graduate from Georgia State University with Bachelor's of Public Health from Georgia State University. Was able to do a little bit of experience in the nonprofit world where I met the lovely Demetra, um, and my life was forever changed. <laughs> and then transitioned over. Um, I did AmeriCorps with Demetra, transitioned over into a little bit of corporate slash nonprofit, and then also transition into my now position as a um, master's student at UNC Chapel Hill, getting my master's of public administration, but then also interning at the um, budget office for Wake County. Um, very excited. My mission and my drive is to serve people, help people. And I'm pretty sure that's why we get along so well. <laughs> yes, you know, we have a heart for serving. So I think your like just educational slash experience journey is really unique because you initially started in public health. Um, and I think if anything, you were probably the first person to really open my eyes to how broad public health is and how it really relates to like the nonprofit side of things and community health. So what would you say are, you know, some of the needs, like what made you say like, I wanna go into public health? Is this something that you always knew uh, when you were in high school or as you were exploring college or what was the need that you saw that really drove you to take that route? So no, I wasn't always a public health fanatic. Originally actually was going to go into undergrad with, as an occupational therapist, like that was essentially my goal. Um, and to be just quite frank, I saw the sciences and I was terrified. Um, but I've always had the passion to serve people, right? I still ended up with the bachelor's of science, which is the funniest part. But essentially, I always had the mission to, to always had the drive to serve people and to help people. I just didn't know how. And what I really love and what really drove me to public health and made me fall in love with it was the idea of community health, right? The idea that we're not just looking at one individual, but instead looking at the community itself and looking how not only how they affect the health of their own community, but also how the community affects their health as well, right? Like, what does that look like? What does that relationship look like? And how can we actually create benefits or look at the challenges on either sides? So would you say that that was something that you noticed, like as you were taking classes? Because I think oftentimes when people think public health, they think like research, they think like CDC right. and mm -hmm. like EPI. So like what, what I guess exposed you to like community health and funding and the bigger picture? 
So I think as I would as I was going through my program, we took we had a couple of classes, of course, the general microbiology, epidemiology, but I think the classes that I really loved and kind of opened my eyes were the we had a class really focused on what does a career in public health even look like, right? Like what are the things that you can actually do with that? And that was one of the classes where I was like, oh, so there's out there's more outside the research part, right? There's more outside the behavioral even health part, right? Like there's more outside this. And then I also took a program evaluation class, um, monitoring evaluation, and that really opened my eyes. I was like, okay, so there's the evaluation side. What does that look like? And really, I think my professors played a really huge role as well as um, because they have already had their careers, right? And so I could talk to them and say, like, these are the things that I'm interested in. As I was going through those, um, I started to essentially piece my passions with the things that I knew I was good at. So I was like, okay, I really love program management. I really love program development. And I would really connect that to the pieces that I loved about public health. And I was realizing that these are, and then the more I would speak to people, I was like, okay, these positions exist. Um, and then the more I was also learning about public health. And in those classes, I realized any position that I take, I think for me would serve public health in some way, right? Um, and of course I was going into a field that I, where I wanted to really serve people itself, but when I was, as I was taking the classes, I really recognized that as long as I'm in a position where I'm affecting people, I'm affecting health. So that was a really big thing for me. Yeah, I love that response. I like how you highlighted specifically health. What are some problems or challenges in the public health field or sector? So you can look at that as um, from a different, various, various perspectives, right? I think, I think now that the pandemic is, well, we're still in, in it, um, people have really taken and have gained a better understanding of what public health is, what that looks like, um, and what that means, <laughs> and how that is affecting their life. So one of the things I would have said and still would say, I think, is information, right? People really just don't know. You don't realize how um, information really just impacts your health, right? When we look at education and look at how that correlates to health, there's a huge correlation there. Um, and that goes for just general things of just um, when we think about getting a prescription and maybe understanding what exactly you're supposed to take when you're supposed to take it and how that affects your body, but even going to all the way um, into other stuff of just really understanding um, maybe even like how the vaccine works, <laughs> right? Like these really broad, but also just really narrow things are really challenging. And like, how do we break sometimes these really com complex structures or complex definitions to a way that um, the community can understand because the community is being affected, right? And the public community is being affected and people who obviously didn't, not everyone took public health classes, not everyone was in the science classes as I was in. So how do we ensure that that um, information is relayed in the right way? But then also looking at, if you think about, I guess, from the career perspective, I think those are the two that are coming off my top of my head. Um, public health is grossly underfunded, right? Um, and before I get on a soapbox, I will try to bring it down, but public health is grossly underfunded. We look at it and it's, it's funny because the health of our nation literally drives we have to be alive to work. We have to be healthy to work. We like so it's funny that it's so underfunded. And of course, now that the pandemic hit, of course, like all this money's been thrown at it, but it does still worry me worry me about how sustainable that that will be. But I do encourage people, I think I really want people to know that there are many arenas in public health, but you should like please, 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 please take the public health knowledge you have. Um, like obviously go into those public health sectors, go into those fields, but feel free to also take it out, right? Like 
How can you take the knowledge that you have and put them in other sectors and other industries so that those people also recognize how their work affects health as well? So I think another just challenge is just knowing where to go because there's so much. But I just like one of the things that helped that's helped me is just talking to people, right? Like, hey, you have a job that looks really cool and you have some sort of background in public health. What do you do? What are your responsibilities or um, conversations like that? I think it's a really broad field. Like, like I said, it's a lot of information, but just really having those conversations, I think, can be really helpful in navigating your way through. And that was a long-winded answer, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's that's great. And I think when you talk about community health and being in the nonprofit sector, and I always go back to the nonprofit sector, but when you think about community health, and you you said it best, right? Community health is public health. I remember those are like some of your first words to me, and I was like, wow, you know, that's actually true because in the nonprofit sector, a lot of times we look at individuals rather than a community and mm -hmm. in the public health side there is research based information to show yes. you why your community needs what it needs um, and how do you bridge those gaps right so it doesn't necessarily have to be this long-winded answer or solution to um the community health needs but like being able to get that research and figure out how do we find solutions, sustainable solutions, right? Like a lot of times we want something that's short-term, but right. how do we make it long-term? How do we make it sustainable for the community and really right. see an impact and outcomes of the community? So that's actually a great answer. I love how you went in detail with that. Well, on to the, I guess, bright side of things. What are some solutions or opportunities <laughs> that you have seen uh, just being in the sector so far or the field? Oh, a lot, right? And I think one of the, my favorite ones that I think I'm really excited about right now is just really economic empowerment. <laughs> um, when we look at the world, essentially money drives the world, right? There's just no, you, you can't argue that. Essentially, and I say this a lot and I don't think this is controversial, but nonprofits shouldn't exist, right? Cause they're trying to fill these gaps that really shouldn't exist at all anyways. Um, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so, right, yeah. so when we look at economic empowerment, it's like, how do we um, empower these communities who have been um, neglected, underserved, denied continuously and historically and serve them in such ways that they can sustain themselves, right? Like how do we put them in positions where they're able to take care of themselves, take care of their families, improve their health? Um, and I think one of those really cool ways is um, giving people the skills. Like how do I, when we look at the world now, we're becoming hugely digital, right? We're really growing in that tech space and we're recognizing that's also a quite frankly, well-paid career, right? <laughs> so we're like, right. how do we um, provide those skills to people who may not necessarily have the access to them? We go into these communities, we say, hey, like, we know that this is a well-paying career. We know that um, you may or may not be interested, but we would like to provide you with these skills. Like, are you interested? Sure, they take it, they take those skills and we provide them not only with the skills, but maybe with the resume, the wraparound services, the childcare, um, so that they're able to go through these systems and maybe go through that process and then get into a career where they're able to sustain and really take care of themselves. That's really, I mean, and that's a, that's a very short version of like a huge problem, right? Because <laughs> um, yeah. we do know money drives the world, but there's so many other different factors that drive that as well. But truly one of my favorite solutions is economic empowerment. Like how do we empower people so that they're sustainable to be successful on their own? Uh, what would be an example of like economic empowerment, right? So when you tell yeah. somebody you truly believe in economic empowerment, what is an example or what does that look like to you? When I think of economic empowerment, I think of providing, actually, I'll give a really clear example of work that I've done in a position I was before. Um, 
we said, uh, like, hey, you are a woman, you're a woman of color. You maybe have been in position, maybe you've been to college, but you're maybe in this uh, quote unquote, like blue color service job. Small caveat, we are now in what they're calling the she session, <laughs> where the millions of people who have lost their jobs are actually majority women, because women right. are in these service industries, right? So when we think of economic empowerment, it's removing, not removing, but placing, giving women more options, right? It's saying here, I'm going to give you an option where you have more freedom. When I think of economic empowerment, I think of freedom. I think of, I'm going to give you these skills so that you're able to go like, and specifically digital skills. Like I'm going to teach you how to code. Quite frankly, I'm not in the digital tech world. I don't know what goes on over there, but, <laughs> and that's not even just coding, but just like, entrepreneurship like i'm going to teach you how to build your own business that successfully so that when um you're um, trying to sustain and build your family you have the resources too because i've taught you all those skills right um and also just building that network so really when i think of economic empowerment i really just think of freedom giving these women opportunities so that they're able to obtain the freedom that they honestly deserve i wouldn't even say they just quite frankly deserve. You know, like you refer a lot to like the digital world and tech world and um, it's harder for those that are in the social services, human services, public health, nonprofit, whatever sector you want to mm -hmm. call it. Um, but those trying to find long-term sustainable solutions, result-based solutions. Um, it, there's not necessarily a clear cut outline of like what, what our career path looks like, right? So for example, somebody in the tech world, like you were taught a skill set and then you go apply those that skill set to various companies mm -hmm. versus us. Like we try to figure out, you know, what what is our skill set first? How do we apply it? And then I think right. the big thing that a lot of um, nonprofits miss on is the empathy part. Right. Like listen right. to the community, listen to those that are actually experiencing these things and have been through those things, you know, mm -hmm. grew up in the community or really relied on community organizations. And so. Um, that wasn't a long-winded answer at all. I think, you know, that that you definitely shed light on the difference between like the public health sector versus um, the tech world. I say tech because when I was in my position, that's what we did mainly, right? But yeah. there are programs that put women in nursing programs. There are programs that put women um, in these positions, but tech is usually easier to get into once you take these sort of courses. So that's why I think it's, or like you take a certificate and all of a sudden, like it's easier for you to get in. That's why I'm using that example. But the ultimate goal is to create more opportunities for women to obtain that freedom, right? And I just want to make sure that I, I wasn't trying to silo the opportunities to tech and tech alone. Um, oh, no, no, no. I get what yeah. you're saying. And speaking of like, you know, women in tech or those that are in like tech professionals, that's still obviously if you're a woman in that you're still considered a huge minority in that particular industry. Right. But it's definitely... Um, like you said, providing those opportunities. I mean, think about women in tech as well. I mean, we're, we're kind of going away from public health in this um, episode, which is perfectly fine. But like, think about even women in tech, like they have such a hard time when getting their foot in the door. You yeah. know, um, I, I know people hate using the terminology of like branding themselves, but like in that field with it being such a male driven field, like how do you set yourself aside? You know, how do you literally right. pull a seat up at the table? you know, and um, pretty much say that, you know, you're worthy of being at the table and your ideas and your perspective is worthy and, and it's valuable to whatever company organization or business you are working yeah. for. So you can find a lot of opportunities for women, but do you feel like the access to it? Sometimes I think that's the thing, right? Is like the information is there, but yeah. accessing it is so hard. Really different. Yeah. So what do you think like in doing that work, right? And like how you said you would pair 
a woman up with whatever particular like program or put them put them on this program and say this is what we're going to do for you how do you like recruit how do you let people know hey this is what's available without yeah. you having to go through so many different loops that's a really because access oh <laughs> Access, right. that's, like a completely, um, that's a completely separate thing. And in public health, that's largely part of the issue. Yeah, right. 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 So like the information is there, right? It's always been there. A uh, few things. Number one, the information has been gatekept, right? Gatekept, gatekept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, the information has been um, specifically just kept amongst the people who it has been um, used as a privilege for right so like the people are privileging from it so they're not going to share that information but of course now um that information is being shared people are really getting those opportunities so thankfully but then again it's information but how do we get women access and i think it's really 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 going in and when i say going into communities i want to be very clear <laughs> i think we need to go into communities and support those who are already doing the work sometimes okay. And I'll say sometimes we don't always need another nonprofit. You don't always need another business, right? Like how do we partner with people who are already doing the work and empower them to create more opportunities and access to these opportunities and to these options that we're talking about, right? So, and I really think that's the best way because the people who are already in those communities, they know the people, they know what works, they know what doesn't, they, they are very clear <laughs> right like they've been doing this work um versus who whoever may be going into this brand new and uh, you might encounter some of these obstacles and challenges that people already know about like why reinvent the wheel why not why not just partner with people and provide access to so like let me just give a clear example let's say there's a ymca i don't know <laughs> there, there's a ymca in the community for like and you say you know what i really want to start this um uh, this camp for for STEM specifically for women and for girls or for children of color. I don't know. Just go talk to the YMCA. Say, hey, I'm really thinking about this. I want to provide this kind of access. They have all the kids that are already coming there, or a boys and girls club. Like they have all the kids that are already coming there. They know who's interested. They know how to get those kids engaged because they've been working with those kids. So I mean, when I think about access i really think about collaboration right like how do we ensure that we're doing this together right and not just creating something else independently to almost to the point that we're fighting with each other <laughs> to create the same opportunities that we all really want to just um have for these communities yeah it's crazy that you say that because i was actually just on um a work call sometime this week and somebody mentioned this quote and they said something along the lines if you want to walk fast walk alone if you want to walk far walk together mm -hmm. so you know like you said I, I definitely wholeheartedly agree with that oftentimes it's like people want their idea and their business or organization whatever it is to thrive but a lot of times you're reinventing the wheel yep and if you take three people that are very powerful and have different skill sets but can move whatever your mission is together you know you go a lot farther but yeah um I, I definitely agree with that um and I, I think there's a lot to shed light on that particular comment. What would you say is your why? Like, why do you do the work that you do? You know, um, why are you furthering your education? You know, yeah. what, what is your why? Your why changes, right? I think at its core, I love people. Yeah. <laughs> at its core, I love people. I love to serve people. I love to provide opportunities for people. 
one of the things that truly, truly, truly drives me is what I think about every day is I didn't have to be born into the family I was born into, right? Like my mom, she doesn't play about school. She doesn't play about like opportunities. She was, she made it very clear to me that you can get what you need. You just have to work for it. Like essentially, why are you sitting down? Get up, like go do something, right? And my dad was very also incredibly supporting um, and both of them really were. And we were, um, what, like middle, middle income. So it's, I had some sort of privilege in my life, right? Where I was able to take advantage of the opportunities I was given to be in the position that I am right now. Um, but not everyone has that opportunity and it's not by choice, right? So it's like, yeah. I think, and I think for me, it really breaks my heart when I think about uh, and I think specifically for me, it's really when I think about like children who are maybe born into communities where these opportunities don't even exist, right? Um, they may have the supporting family, but it doesn't even exist at all. Not because they don't have the ability to even thrive or be successful in it, but because they just don't even have access to it at all. So one of the things that really drives me is, is just creating these opportunities so that everyone has these um, equal access to opportunities to reach their full potential, right? You'll never know if you never try, but if we never give people opportunity to try, they'll never know. And that was circular. But <laughs> the point is, I think everyone has the full, like, I essentially, and this is going to sound corny, want every child to reach their full potential. And I think a big part of that for me is providing access and opportunity. And that looks like, and that's through ser serving those people and giving them, meeting them where they are and for their, and for their need to meet their need. Well, thank you, Danielle, for you know being on our podcast. We truly appreciate you setting some time aside to speak with us. Um, it's been an honor to hear your journey, your story, your accomplishments, and the things that you are still <laughs> planning to do. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our second guest is Kenyana Weaver. Kenyana is the Director of Programs for a nonprofit in Norcross, Georgia. She has a bachelor's degree in managerial sciences and a master's degree in public health. She has over five years of experience in the public health field, and in her current role, she builds relationships with other agencies and the community, implements programs, and manages projects that focus on serving high-needs populations by connecting them to resources, such as diapers, wipes, period products, and other essential items to improve their well-being. In 2021, she successfully co-managed a pilot program at her current organization within the six months timeframe by building solid community partnerships to develop community events to connect individuals to resources. Hi, I'm Kenyana Weaver. I'm a public health professional. I have my bachelor's degree in business administration and I also have a master's degree in public health. I'm very passionate about community health because I love making differences, differences within the communities. I currently work as a director of programs at a nonprofit organization in Norcross, Georgia. At this nonprofit, we serve moms, children, and families in need by assisting them with essential items that the government does not provide to them. In my role, I'm responsible for managing different projects, implementing very impactful programs, and building strong relationships with other agencies and other people in the communities to help bridge these gaps. In my leisure time, I love to spend time with my family and my close knit of friends. And I also love reading inspirational quotes 
to align myself with self-growth and also to inspire and uplift other people. You being a public health professional and going more so into the nonprofit sector, can you tell us a little bit more about maybe what the need is that you see right now um, and any problems or challenges that you um, see as well? I would have to say when it comes to community health, the need is resources. I feel like there are a lack of resources in so many communities. And then there are also resources in communities, but people aren't knowledgeable of those resources. And sometimes the resources that they do have available, they're actually not what they need. So I would say, um, just based on my own personal experience growing up in my environment, I grew up where we didn't have a lot of resources. And so it's like, I kind of had to figure everything out when I was young and figure out how to kind of like navigate when it came to, you know, going to college or even like financial literacy or how to, you know, do different things in the world. So I just feel like, since there are so many communities that don't have those type of things, then we need people in place like me to make sure people have those resources so they can thrive. And then I would say the challenges when it comes to resources is not having the resources to meet the needs of the the community that we're currently serving. And then also the barriers such as like transportation, the education level, the language barriers. You know, there are so many resources out there, but we don't have these things that can actually meet people where they are. So I feel like when you implement programs to, to meet people where they are, they can get the resources that they need. For example, at the nonprofit organization where I currently work at, we have a mobile distribution program. So we actually go out into communities and meet people where they are by giving them the resources directly in their hands and we'll distribute the products out to them. So I feel like when you have these type of things in places, then you can also make this community more successful and it helps, you know, improve their well-being. I would have to say when it comes to the solution when it, you know, to be able to help um, communities that are struggling when it comes to the resources, um, I would have to say, you know, implementing these community needs assessments, because with a community needs assessment, you can actually see exactly what does your community need instead of you going based off what you think that community needs, because there are so many people in higher like places you know, they have the funds, they have these ideas and they're just like, yeah, like, I think this community needs X, Y and Z. But the thing is, like, just because you may think that does not mean that that community actually needs that until you have done the proper research to find those things out. So I would have to say, you know, implementing a really good community needs assessment, meeting people where they are through successful programs and then also, um just being able to advocate for that community and being a listening ear so you can really get to the nitty gritty of what that community needs. A common theme um, in the past few interviews was accessibility, you know, or is accessibility, excuse me, that's not a thing of the past, but is accessibility, like there's resources out there, but it's more so, more so like how do people access these resources? You know, like sometimes it's great stuff, but you don't have participants because participants aren't able to access it. So that sounds like along the lines of, you know, what you're saying is the resources are oftentimes there or maybe not as many, but it's really a an accessibility issue. 
you know, I just strive to continue to make, you know, a difference in the community. And my goal is to eventually implement a community health worker program where I can help build leaders for the community so they can advocate for their communities. So would you say like, you know, that's actually a good segue into you mentioned a little bit about, you know, potential solutions. So do you feel like that's an opportunity there is to equip um, community health workers in these communities to be able to uh, meet the clients where they're at? Yes, I do. Because as a community health worker, we're, they're responsible for actually going out into these communities, whether that's actually going to an individual's home and doing like an assessment to figure out like, why, do, why doesn't this family has X, Y, and Z? And then being able to figure out how do we get these resources to this family? You know, is it because they don't have, you know, transportation? So what do we need to do? Should we try to see if we can get funding to get the martyr cards? Or do we try to look and see if we can find like affordable um, cars for them or to see, you know, if they not, you know, they don't have like a, a high paying job or a job that pays enough so they can be able to get transportation or do they not have, you know, somewhere to stay affordable housing? How does that look? Do we help them fill out applications for affordable housing? Um, do they lack the education to be able to connect to these resources? You know, some people may not even know how to get on the internet. Some people aren't like technology savvy. So how do we figure out how to help these people so they can be able to be, be able to get these resources that they need and be knowledgeable of the resources that are offered to them. So I feel like implementing a community health worker program, I can have individuals that come from that community advocate and be able to teach their community how to be able to thrive and grow. I love the way you put that in perspective and it kind of just sparked a question. So what made you think or want to focus, you know, like, let me shift my focus onto community right. and individuals. Right. And I'm glad you asked that question because before I went to graduate school, I was basically trying to this, you know, figure out if I wanted to be a social worker or if I wanted to do public health. And I ended up going with public health because public health is so broad and you can do so many things. And I'm not saying that you can't do many things as a social worker. I mean, you can really do anything with either degree, but I felt like with, with public health, it more so was more focused with community health because it's like very broad and I can touch a lot of people at one time and make a, such an impact in the larger population. And so I didn't really want to just focus on something like that was more individual based. I wanted to focus on a population at large and make a really big impact by connecting people to resources. You know, whether that's me doing like research to figure out what they need, also going out, you know, hearing them, hearing their voices to figure out what they need. Um, also being able to be a voice for them as well and just truly connecting with them and really getting to know the community so I can figure out how to help bridge those gaps when it comes to their needs. A common theme is the importance of working together right and how right. there's so much more impact that can happen when people come together. Um, I love that answer. So what would you say is your why? Like why do you do the work that you do? Why do I do what I do? 
That's a great question. So I do live by this quote that I actually created and it's the quote saying is knowing that I have helped someone gives me peace. So my why is help each community thrive. And even though if I cannot be able to help everybody at once, I know each day I'll be able to add some type of value to that community, you know, so it's, it's very challenging when it comes to community health, but it's very rewarding, you know, and it takes time to be able to see things happen and it doesn't happen overnight. So I would have to say my why is making an impactful change and doing it day by day and being patient and just continuing to network with others and knowing my community that I serve so I can be able to give them the things that they need so they can continue to thrive. Well, Kenyana, thank you so much for being on our podcast and just, you know, it's very exciting to hear your journey and your accomplishments and what you're doing in the public health and community health field. So we really, really appreciate you joining us and thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Our third guest is Aravia Patterson. Aravia was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina. Aravia graduated from Bennett College with a Bachelor of Science in Biology and a Bachelor of Arts and Sciences in Africana Women's Studies. She then went on to earn her Master of Public Health from the Morehouse School of Medicine in 2021. Her research project focused on doulas and maternal mortality among low-income African-American women. During the summer of 2021, she completed an internship through the Association of Maternal and Child Health Programs at the Kentucky Department of Public Health, Maternal and Child Health Division. Currently, Aravia is pursuing her doctoral studies in public health sciences and information with a specialization in health promotion and behavioral sciences at the University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. Hi, Demi. I'm so happy to be here. I wish Mona was here, but I'm Aravia. Um, I'm a first year doctoral student in a PhD program in public health sciences with a specialization in health promotion and behavioral sciences um, at the University of Louisville. And I met Demi when I was a MPH student at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta and I was an intern at Helping Mamas for like a summer and a half because I wouldn't leave Um, and I graduated in May and I started my doctoral program in August. I've been in school literally straight since kindergarten. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to pursue another degree rather than entering workforce. So when I was doing my master's, my interests are, have always been maternal and child health. Um, my program was a generalist program. So we really focused on, it was really community health and population health. Initially, I had plans, when I entered my second year, I had plans to go into the workforce, doing a fellowship at the CDC, which is always like, a you know, everybody wants to fellowship at the CDC. It's government. They pay good money. They got good benefits. And that was my plan until I met with my advisor and dean. And it was like, you know, why would you do that? It's COVID. You know, COVID was, COVID is still here, but it was COVID time. Uh, we were in the thick of COVID. I think COVID exposed all the inequities that we have in every single area of life. Education, health, housing, transportation, all those things in COVID kind of highlighted them. So people were throwing money at literally everything, public health, health care, health administration. So there was money for everything. And it was honestly the best time to go to school. It was just a matter of getting to a program. So tell us a little bit about, you, like you mentioned, being passionate about um, maternal and child health. But what would you say like is the need and some of the problems and challenges? Like speak a little about you know how you came to have that passion and what really made you strictly want to have a career out of this 
Oh, okay. So my, me and my mom are like literally 17 years and 13 days apart. So, so she's been, so I have four younger siblings and I've been like old enough to be an active participant in the last three um, with me and the younger, the younger two being like 20 and 18 years apart. So doctor's appointments, like all those things, like I've been with her and I want to say for every single of her pregnancy, she's always had a severe maternal morbidity which is considered um, an unexpected outcome of pregnancy, um, either during labor and delivery or afterwards. Um, And it's considered a near miss because you don't die, but you get close enough to it. Um, And severe maternal morbidities are, you know, they kind of lead into maternal mortality. So I've always been interested in kids and babies and pregnancies. Um, I I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN, but then I was in college, I couldn't grow I couldn't get the organic. I just (laughs) couldn't. I couldn't do the chemistry. It was the formulas and then the structures. I just couldn't get it. So I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. And then I was on a research project for environmental health um, injustice and reproductive disorders. And I was finding that a lot of um, a lot of Black women were having high incidence of fibroids, PCOS, endo, and other reproductive disorders. And they were living in areas that were near like um, factories and all these other places that release high um, environmental toxins. And then I had my own issue with reproductive challenges. I was telling my mom, like, I think we, so I have PCOS and then I have an aunt and cousin on my paternal side and then an aunt on my maternal side who have PCOS. And then both of my families, um, like a generation before, have lived in the same, they lived in the same projects in Columbia. So I'm like, you know, I think there's an environmental issue going on outside of the genetics. That kind of was a segue into my interest in maternal child health and then I think I went to, I did a public health program at Michigan, and then I found my way to Gambia with the university, with Drexel University to do um, maternal child health work in the Gambia. And then I was like, okay, I think I want to do this. So then I got my MPH, and then I've been in public health ever since. Okay, cool. Wow, that's a journey. I know, I'm You've definitely done some things, which is super cool. Um, So in having, you know, your background, and education within things that may lead to maternal mortality, what would you say are some like opportunities or solutions where you feel like you can step in and uh, really provide some type of insider perspective? Um, so I, I know you asked about the, what are the biggest challenges right now? I think one of the biggest challenge is the um, maternal health inequities that we're facing right now. So with Black, I know it's all of, in the media, Black women are dying at a higher rate. I want to say it's three to four times the rate of white women. Um, and now we're, now it's just now people are starting to say that it's racism and not just race because you can't say like there's no biological difference between a white woman a black woman a green woman an orange woman like there's no difference mm-hmm. so looking at those structural and social determinants of health that are really the driver for those inequities and I want to say now a lot of things are focused on policy so Medicaid expansion is a really big thing like in Georgia you know there's no Medicaid expansion so after six weeks a woman who use Medicaid for her pregnancy does not have Medicaid anymore after those six weeks postpartum. Um, I want to say my interest at first, it was really at the individual level, individual and community looking at like doulas and midwives and those things. But I want to say now, because I'm in a PhD program, we're looking at, there's only so much you can do at the individual level. Um, A lot of like, if a person is in poverty and you give them a pack of diapers one time, what does that do for the next week or the next day? Mm-hmm. So looking at ways that policy plays a role in maternal health outcomes, I think there's just so many room, there's just so much to do. I want to say the next, the obvious thing is Medicaid expansion 
and then implementing a some type of respectful maternity care that's culturally competent in all like healthcare settings. Because you, who wants to go to a doctor? Yeah, I have Medicaid, but I don't want to go see my doctor because, you know, she's talking at me. They're not talking to with me, or they are, you know, being that implicit bias comes in where the and sometimes it's not even implicit; it's explicit. So looking at those things and providing ways to train providers in a way that is culturally competent and respectful. But I think for myself personally, I think I am looking at policy. And I think I do want to work with providers, um, just with training and then working with communities because, yeah, you can go to the doctor, but then what do people go home to? What is what what's available? What resources are in my community that could help me um, in case I, you know, have postpartum depression or what if I need a doula, but I can't afford a doula, which is also another issue. Um, I did become a doula in college, so I'm always like I love doulas. Hopefully we get to the point to where Medicaid pays for doulas. Um, studies and a lot of research has shown that doulas um, help with pregnancy outcomes um, and just the overall experience and increase the risk the rates of breastfeeding and just overall a general more positive experience um, with birth and the whole pregnancy in, in general. A common theme in the past two other interviews or the other two interviews um, has been how we all pretty much started out wanting to help at an individual level, right? A lot of times it was like empathy or we went through those things mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I want to help the next person. And then when you're in public health, community health, um, you know, human services, social services, whatever it may be, you start to notice that it's, you have to look at it at a larger scale, right? Like policy can only happen and changes in policy can only happen at a macro level level, rather than just like an individual level. So that's definitely been something that's pretty common. I think a lot of the whys and reasoning has just changed from like, I initially went into this because I wanted to look at it from a individual perspective. And now it's, no, I actually want to help more than just one person. And what are the long-term solutions and what's sustainable for individuals, communities, and like the economy? So those are all great answers. What would you say is your why? Like, why do you do what you do? Why, you know, this particular passion? I know, you know, I know this about you, but I would love for you to just share a little bit more about, you know, even not necessarily uh, maternity care deserts, but like talking about like what your why is. Um, I think my why, I just want people to be happy and to live. Um, I think having a child, even though people always say like, you know, I didn't want to bring a child into the world is crazy, but I really think having a child is the greatest form of, op- of optimism. Um, regardless of how the world is, regardless of what's going on, like having a child is, you can't control what's going on in the world, but you can make this one person or if you have multiples, um, this child's life better. And, you know, kids see the world through their parents. So even though the world around them is crazy, as long as, you know, whoever is my adult or my caregiver is happy, then, you know, essentially I'm happy. For maternal health, you know, when a mom lives, I feel like people just think, oh, the kids are going to be sad. But like, no, like when a mom lives, her children are more likely to, you know, graduate high school and become productive members of society. Her baby is like 15 times more likely to survive. And, you know, like if a mom lives and, you know, she's contributing to her family, her community, society and the economy. I don't know. I just re- I think everything I do is based in love and humanity. Um, I just want to see people live their healthiest lives. And I think for maternal health, a lot of things that I do is rooted in reproductive justice. So people, I really believe that people should be able to decide when they want to have kids, if they do or they don't. And if they do have kids, they need like this, a safe and healthy environment. Because um, who wants to have a kid and like, you know, it has to go out into madness. Like that's not part of the American dream, which is what this country is founded on, supposedly. So I just... 
it's just really rooted in like love and humanity and I just really love I really love like women and babies I don't know I just I love kids well those like I said everything that you said just great answers I've definitely learned a lot like you dropped a lot of statistics in um this episode and so I definitely need to like step my game up uh, with women and children. But you know, thank you for being on. Uh, we really appreciate you just taking some time uh, out of your schedule to be on our podcast um, and just share, like I said, your journey, your accomplishments, what you're currently, you know, your, your endeavors now and your future endeavors. So we really appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait to listen. I'm excited to introduce our final guest, Ifwa Achampuang. Ifwa is a software developer based in Douglasville, Georgia, and is originally from Accra, Ghana. Ifwa shares that the field of technology chose her. She had always been fascinated with technology growing up and was a go-to troubleshooting support for her family. Ifwa started as a biology pre-med student until she engaged in a few introductory job courses, which had her change her major almost immediately. Although AFA made her career transition later than most, she shares that it has been one of the best decisions she's made. Hi everyone, my name is AFA HM Pong. I'm a software developer for a financial institution and I'm just so happy to be here to just talk with Demi. Well, we are super excited to have you. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you being a software developer. What were some initially, you know, going into it, what made you change your like completely go from like medical to tech okay so ever since i was a kid um my parents um grandparents everyone's just been calling me doctor because you know um i don't know if you've heard this thing that african kids usually have three options career-wise to be a lawyer doctor or engineer um so i just had to choose from one of those and they just thought that being the first daughter a doctor was to me best so I started off um, biology pre-med and um, things were good. Um, I just realized very quickly that I had to be okay with talking a lot to people every single day. I'm like, yeah, that is just not me. I just don't want to talk so much. And um, the breaking point for me was um, uh, there was a short internship and I realized that I have the likelihood to attach myself to my potential patients, I would definitely be attached to their story and their recovery process. And I don't know if that is healthy. I, I, I didn't think that I could be the kind of doctor that could completely disassociate myself with my patient's life. So I realized that, okay, what else could I do? So um, I just started um, sitting in on random lectures on campus and I just happened to go to a an introductory Java class one day and I'm like yeah this is cool and literally right after the class I went to um, the main office and I changed my major that's exactly what happened but yeah I just declared computer science as my major and yeah here we are. I feel like a, a lot of people when we you know students when we get into college we're like okay we're gonna go in with for this particular thing and then you just have like this epiphany moment where you're like you know what I changed my mind this Are is not gonna work you. I knew there was a likelihood that I wouldn't go through with it. I just didn't know what my second or what my options were. Mm -hmm. um, I could have done it, but I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was only doing it because family thought it would yeah. be a good fit, not because I actually desired to um, be a doctor. So um, yeah, I, I knew that there was a likelihood that I was gonna change my major. I just didn't know what I was gonna change it to. Were there any challenges um, in you transitioning or changing over to um, 
a more like tech based rather than medical? Aside from family, like were there any like challenges? Oh, yeah, there were huge, huge challenges. Yeah, the main one being that I didn't know a single thing about programming. And my family had this notion that all programmers start when they're like two years old and they get a computer and they're just coding. So when they get to college, they're just these experts. And my dad was very concerned about that. He was like, well, you've never written a line of code. Um, you don't know what a terminal is. You don't know what a command prompt is. Are you sure you can do this? And I'm like, sure, why not? I just have to spend a lot of time studying these things. And that, that's exactly what it was. So um, after I, uh, changed my major. I basically had no life. So I graduated. It's yeah. always indoors. Yeah. Doing homework, studying or going to um, lecture or going to work. That was it. No social life. But I was okay with that because I think for once I was actually doing something I was interested in doing. What ended up happening like after um, you graduated? Were there any challenges in finding a career or uh, not a career, but a particular like company to work for? Or did you, was that pretty seamless for you? What helped me was that um, I kind of knew a few people that had graduated with my major and I saw how they were struggling because most people waited until right before graduation to start looking for jobs. So I knew then that that was not the way to go. So I started job searching six months uh -oh. before graduation. And yeah, I just happened to be really, really lucky that um, two months before I graduated, I was um, I was offered my, my, I was given my first offer and I took it. I just stopped looking immediately. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go with this and um, focus on graduation. Okay, cool. So you already secured the bag before you actually <laughs> graduated. So that's good. Yeah, so, the introductory bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that part. Um, what would you say are some um, solutions or opportunities in the particular field that you're in? Oh my goodness, so many opportunities. Sometimes I get overwhelmed thinking about it because there's just so much you can do. There are so many sectors you can work in. My initial plan leaving college was to go into the health sector. I've always liked the health sector and what it stands for and what it does for the community. So since I wasn't a doctor anymore, I was like, okay, I could do software engineering in health, but I'm not exactly sure how medical science and programming merge. So I found um, health informatics and I thought I was going to work there, but it just so happened that my, like I said, my first offer came from a financial institution mm -hmm. and now I'm more focused on yeah, software development in the financial sector. But talking about opportunities, there's just a plethora. It's, it's, it's you can definitely pivot or adjust, you know, to whatever you want to do. And then you having such a specific skill set that is like literally any company. And the fact I feel like COVID really highlighted that with just like tech and software and systems, um, you know, that's something that no matter where you go, you know, you're always going to find um, that opportunity. What would you say, like, what is some advice that you would give somebody, especially like a woman that's going into the tech field or the STEM field? I say absolutely do it. I understand that as women, sometimes we get discouraged being in a male dominated field. We always feel this, uh, well, what, what would I call it? We always feel like, okay, if you're going head on head with a man, he has to be better. So let me just take a step back and let him do it. And I, and I get that. And I mean, there's a reason why it's a male dominated field. I wouldn't say it's a lack of, I wouldn't say it's a lack of um, ability for women, but the interest usually isn't there. It just so happens that men tend to be more interested in doing these things. So for 
my advice for a woman wanting to go into tech is to absolutely do it. Um, I wouldn't say I've ever been denied any opportunities just because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And when you focus on that, I think that eliminates, you know, those gender fears of, oh, is this where I'm supposed to be? Those things, in my opinion, doesn't matter. Just focus on your skill set and sharpening it. And I think you can fit in anywhere that you put your mind to. Do you think that exposure to like the STEM field for, for anybody, like not necessarily just women, um, you know, cause like traditionally in school and stuff, you're literally th- taught like, okay, you're three things or four, a doctor, a lawyer, <laughs> engineer, and the president. Right. But right. <laughs> exposure to like the tech field at, at a younger age, you know, now you start to see more of those like STEM programs for like elementary or now that schools are actually like solely like STEM schools. Um, do you think that that makes a big difference? Because um, like you said, you know, it's not you didn't know programming from the time you were five or you weren't in these programs. But do you think that it makes it easier um, to be in that field if you if you're in a program where you're exposed at a younger age? Absolutely. So I, I moved here when um, I moved here during sophomore year of high school. I was 15 at the time. I, the only things I knew about computers was that you could <laughs> send emails and you could talk to your friends. Because uh, back in Ghana, I had no access to internet or a computer. My dad did give me a computer, but honestly, all I used it for was um, learning how to type. Um, So he got me a computer and he got me made this beacon and I would spend hours learning how to type, but that was it. There was no internet. There's pretty much nothing else you could do. So when I moved here, high school, we had a class. It was supposed to be a programming class, but we would only use Dreamweaver, which is Mm -hmm. this very, doing pretty much basic things like turning a page that's white to green or just making stick figures, just basic things like that. So I wasn't really privy to the opportunities that programming could present until college and uh, my best friend at that time he was a computer science student and I'm like how did I just never think that I could do this as a career so that's when I really started thinking and when I got to the point where I got um, really serious about changing my major that's when I signed um, that introductory Java class and I changed my major but yes I do agree that extra exposure would have made a huge difference had I known but I just I just didn't know about it programming and uh, what computers could do or how to um, just make a computer do what you say I just I had no idea which is crazy now that I think back on it because even when my dad got me my first computer and I was um, using it just to learn how to type I didn't think about it then, but now I'm like, well, somebody created Mavis Beacon. Someone created that software yeah. to distribute. So now I'm thinking about those things. But then I was purely a user. I, my, my mind didn't go past just using it. I do because I do agree that exposing, you know, the youth, especially to different careers is super vital to like, you know, they say like every not every, but a majority of college students change their major two, three times. And I feel like in knowing that information, like, you know, instead of the four careers that I was talking about earlier in middle school or high school, or just doing some type of like career exploration or, you know, just researching like what is out there. There's so many different jobs that you can do. And I feel like that's just not something that we are necessarily taught, you know, like we kind of figure it out by the time we get into college or like in our adult years and navigate that way. 
Right. Unless you just one of the brilliant ones, like my partner, he just knew from high school. I'm like, oh, great. You just yeah. knew from high school, you're programming high school, you go to college, computer science major, just great. But that was yeah. not, that was not my story at all. So he, he just knew from very, very early on, that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, no, you know, that's the thing. Like we all have a story and like, um, I know you mentioned, you know, it was probably one of the best decisions you could ever make. Um, so that's a good segue into like, what is your why? And it could be anything. Like, I know sometimes people are like, oh, why do you do the work that you do? But like, what is your why? Like, what, what do you out of bed every day? I like the way programming makes me think. I think to me, that is my why every day because sometimes it can get overwhelming and having to keep up with the technology and things changing so fast. Um, but I think it does a lot for my thinking process. That's what draws, drew me to it. That's what will keep me drawn to it. That I, I always feel like I'm being challenged. As a person, I, I just love that. I love that I, I can't be stagnant with this career field. I always have to keep learning, keeping up. And um, that is my why. Um, hopefully I can get to the point where I can do something revolutionary for the community. That would be great. But um, as of right now, my why right now is just um, what it does for my thinking process. Everybody's why changes. Like, you know, the older you get and different seasons in life bring a different why. So now that's a great answer. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. You know, super important that we um, center, you know, your voice and just talk about your accomplishments and your journey and your story. So we really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the second episode of the Empowered Podcast. You can learn more about Empowered by visiting empoweredconsulting.com.